Started from the bottom, now we here. Started from the bottom, now my whole team here. Started from the bottom, now we here. Started from the bottom, now the whole team here. Started from the bottom, now we here. Started from the bottom, now my whole team in. Started from the bottom, now we here. Started from the bottom, now the whole team here. I'm Tavis Smiley. This is KBLA Talk 1580. Our phone number 1-800-920-1580. 1-800-920-1580. So glad to have you with us in this hour. That was a spirited conversation uh, in that last hour. Lord have mercy. It was a beautiful thing. And uh, so delighted to have uh, been able to moderate that conversation. But we got one more hour to go. We're going to take it a little higher. In this hour, we talk with one of the most successful black businessmen in the country, the man who led Nike's Jordan brand from a $200 million sneaker company to a $4 billion global apparel juggernaut. Larry Miller in this hour on his journey from the violent streets of West Philly to the upper echelons of American sports and industry will also be joined by his daughter, Layla Lacey, who alongside Larry uh, wrote the book, Jump, My Secret Journey from the Streets to the Boardroom. Congratulations, Larry, on the text, man. Happy New Year. Good to have you on the program. How are you? Uh, thank you, Travis. I'm good, man. It's good, uh, good to hear your voice and uh, Happy New Year to you as well. Good to talk to you. And Layla, how are you today? I'm very good, Tavis. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It is my great delight to have you both on, and uh, what a great project for a father and daughter to be uh, connected on, and we'll get into that part of the story in just a second. Um, I guess the best place to start, Larry, is uh, uh, back in West Philly. So uh, Will Smith, or the Fresh Prince, ain't the only brother out of West Philly uh, who, 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 uh, who came up. So tell me uh, about growing up uh, in West Philly, Larry Miller. So, so uh, you know, as a as a young young kid, I, from all through elementary school, I was uh, my kid in the class. Teachers had, had a great, you know, family. I come from a family of eight kids, and uh, my grandmother, my uncle, my mom and dad, all we all lived in the same. House. And you know, it was a uh, it was a lot of love. I was always encouraged as a as a young young boy that you know I could do whatever I put my mind to, and I think that. Uh, I never lost that over the years. I kind of kept in my mind that belief that if I put my mind to something, I, I could. Yeah. Um, and that, that lasted up through uh, through elementary school. And then um, when I got to the age of around middle school, around 12, 11, 12, 13 years old, the street really started to appeal, appeal to me. And um, before I knew it, I was caught up in the street. I joined a gang. uh and uh, you know, became became a, kind of a street thug for, for over that that time period. And um, when I was uh, when I was 16 years old, um, I shot another young man, and he died. And I was uh, arrested and charged as uh, as an adult. Uh, was sentenced to four and a half to 20 years, um, and uh, did the four and a half. Got out and. Uh, Fell right back into the street, um, ended up in and out of jail again. And, uh, you know, that was kind of from the age of like 12 to 30, um, I was in and out of jail and uh, was living the life of a criminal. From 12 to 30? Yes. That seems to be um, a little late in life uh, to, to for some people. to You're still young, but uh, when you're in that kind of trouble from 12 to 30, 
And then we end up introducing you as the guy who who built the Jordan brand into a $4 billion enterprise. Again, we got the hour to unpack this, so I don't want to jump too far too fast. Um, but but how does one go, I mean, broadly speaking, we'll get to the details later, Larry, but broadly speaking, how does one go from being in trouble at the age of 30 to being on this program some years later as the guy that built the Jordan brand? Like, that's a big, I mean, 30 just, I mean, that kind of trouble and the age of 30 seems to be a little late to get in the game for some people. No, you're, 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 you're right. And really what, what made the difference for me was, um, first of all, the last time I got arrested, uh, I was charged with a number of armed robberies. I had like five armed robbery charges. And, um, fortunately, uh, I was sentenced to four and a half to 10 years for all of those charges. But at that point I had kind of decided that I didn't want to live that life anymore. I was trying to figure out how I could change my lifestyle. And, When I was incarcerated the last time, um, they had a program there where you could take college classes inside the jail, and there were a number of colleges that were offering classes of Temple, Villanova, Montgomery County Community College, Cheney State, all were offering uh, classes inside the jail. But then you could actually qualify to move into this program where you lived outside the jail in these trailers, and you left every day and went to school and just had to be back by 8 o'clock at night. And when I heard about that program, I was like, man, that's the way I want to do my time. And I was always pretty good with the educational stuff. And so I I ended up taking classes inside the jail, qualifying to move into that program. And uh, while I was in that program and, you know, leaving every day and going to school, I ended up getting my associate's degree. But even more so than that, along the way, I started to believe that I could really change my life through education. And and that's what I, I focused on. And, uh, you know, like I said, I got my associate's degree while in that program. I moved to a halfway house down in North Philadelphia near Temple University, um, started at Temple and got my uh, bachelor's degree uh, in accounting. Uh, started working for Campbell Soup Company, and that's kind of how my career got started. Mm. Now, this conversation is just getting started, and uh, uh, we're going to get Larry's phone line tightened up just a little bit. This conversation is way too important. Uh, there's too much empowerment, uh, enlightenment, and encouragement and inspiration to come for us to lose any word of that. And I want to bring Layla, of course, to the conversation a little bit later here. Uh, it's it's quite the story, uh, and this book is fascinating. It's called Jump. My Secret Journey from the Streets to the Boardroom. We'll get to the secret part. And, of course, we're going to talk about jumping from the streets to the boardroom. Uh, you've got some sense of what uh, Larry's life uh, has uh, has been about, uh, but we're going to build on that. Uh, glad I've got Layla and Larry for the hour. You're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. We've got a lot to talk about. Good thing we've got three hours. More of Tavis Smiley when we come forward. For legitimate political discourse without the bear spray, tune in and speak out. KBLA Talk 1580. I'm Tavis Smiley. Glad to have you with us in this hour. Our guests are Layla Lacey and Larry Miller. Let me explain that. Layla is the daughter of Larry Miller. Together, they've written a book called Jump, My Secret Journey from the Streets to the Boardroom. Uh, It's an amazing story of uh, Larry's journey from the violent streets of West Philly uh, in the 1960s to the highest echelons of American sports and entertainment. Uh, he wound up in jail more than once, especially as a teenager. He's already established and uh, shared that story earlier in this conversation, but he immersed himself 
uh, in uh, a myriad uh, of educational opportunities, uh, and um, things started to take off uh, for Larry. So, Larry, we were, you were you were telling us uh, before the break um, that you took advantage of these opportunities at Temple, great university, love Temple in Phil in Philadelphia. Um, you went you went to Temple, and eventually got got a couple of degrees, ended up working at Campbell Soup, and I suspect there are folk listening right now. Uh, who heard you tell the story of all the trouble you'd been in, all the times you've been arrested, all the charges against you. And I'm sure there are people asking right now, because it occurred to me when I got the book, um, that that's a lot to have on your record and still be able to get into a school like Temple. That's a lot to have on your record and still get a job at Campbell Soup. That's a lot to have on your record. We ain't got to Nike yet and all that you've done with the, with the Jordan brand. But how does one have all that stuff on his or her record and still be able to take advantage of these kinds of opportunities? So, so, so Travis, back then, um, if you were incarcerated, you had access to the Pell Grants, which mm -hmm. allowed you to take college classes. And uh, that, that was continued in the mid-'90s. Uh, it is being reinstated, I think, a uh, year after next. Um, but, but that was part of how I was able to afford to go to college and to take those classes. Mm -hmm. When I was about to graduate from, from Temple, um, with my accounting degree, the, 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 the deal was if you were, uh, graduating with an accounting degree, your goal was to work for what was called the big eight accounting firms sure, at the time. Sure. And so, uh, so, so I was, you know, I was kind of caught up in that and, uh, I zeroed in on uh, one of the firms, uh, a firm called Arthur Anderson, and mm -hmm. uh, they, they were kind of my focus and who I wanted to work for. And so I ended up going there and spending a day uh, interviewing with a number of people throughout the course of the day. And all day in the back of my mind, I'm like, should I really share my, my story with these people? Should I share my background? And finally, I decided, you know what, I, I, I need to do that. So I get to the the last guy who was like the hiring manager. And uh, I sat, sat down with him. I said, hey, there's, there's something I need to share with you that, uh, that hasn't come out uh, up to this point. And I start to share my story with him and tell him how I got involved in the education program and, you know, my whole, whole, whole bit. And as I'm talking to him, uh, I could see his face changing. And, uh, and when I got done, he, he looked at me and said, wow, that's, that's an amazing story. He said, and, um, and I'm sure you're going to do well. He reached in his pocket and pulled out an envelope, and he said, uh, and I have an offer letter here already to give you, but I can't give it to you now. He said, uh, you know, I, I just can't take the chance. And so at that point, um, I decided that I wasn't going to share the information anymore. I wasn't going to lie. I wasn't going to deny it if it came up, but I wasn't going to volunteer the information. And uh, for the next 40 years, um, that's kind of how I, I lived my career. Mm. Um, and the whole time I was always anxious and nervous and afraid that somehow, you know, my background would come out and it would ruin everything that I, uh, had built up to that point. But, um, but for 40 years after that, I, I kind of kept it secret yeah. and, you know, somehow it just never came out, but I did find out something later that, uh, that really, uh, kind of, kind of blew me away. Um, one of the jobs that, that I, uh, I ended up taking was I was the president of the Portland Trailblazers for five mm. years. Oh, yeah. And um, when I was interviewing with the Blazers, and I didn't find this out until after the, my book came out uh, last year, um, the, the Blazers used that since Paul Allen also owned uh, the Seahawks, they used the NFL's 
security to do background check. And they actually uh, they went down to Philadelphia to City Hall and they dug up some old uh, manual records and they it showed all these felonies and stuff. And they thought it was me. They were pretty sure it was me, but they weren't 100 percent certain. So they got back to the guy who was uh, who was hiring me at the time, who, who really thought, felt like I was the right guy for the Trailblazers job. They told him what was what was going on, and he then debated whether he should share that information with Paul Allen because he thought Paul might not want to hire me once he once he found it out. Um, and so he said he talked to David Stern and asked Stern whether he had to share the information, and Stern told him that he did. And uh, so he ended up, long story short, he ended up sharing the information with Paul, and he said Paul's only question was, how long ago was this? And when he said, well, this was like 30, 35, he said, well, I'm not worried about it then. So they actually had some knowledge of my past, but I guess because of the things that I had accomplished up to that point, they just didn't, uh, yeah. didn't, it didn't, didn't bother them. I'm glad you shared that because I want to talk about your time as president of the Portland Trailblazers. It's rare, 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 rare that you get a brother on the radio who has been the president of a major NBA franchise or a major professional uh, sports franchise, period. And we're going to take advantage of that, given that Larry Miller is, is with us in this hour. But, but, but there are two questions I have to ask right now, Larry, based on what you just shared with us. The first question is, what made you that day roll the dice and decide to tell that potential employee the story? He eventually pulls the letter out of his pocket that he was going to offer you, the offer letter, and tears it up, throws it in the trash, and wishes you the best, but you ain't going to work there. Um, but, but what made you decide to roll the dice and share the story when you did? Well, you know, Tavis, at, at the time, I, my, my, my thing was, hey, I'm trying to do the right thing with my life. I'm right. trying to take my life in the right direction. And, you know, I, here's some information that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be open with and share. And once I realized after sharing it and got the response I did, I realized at that point that, um, you know, sharing that information yeah. could definitely hamper what I was trying to Which, accomplish. So I, I, that was when I decided I wasn't going to I wasn't going to volunteer the information. Yeah. Which leads to my second question. Um, what do you make of the fact that a black man and I'm not naive in asking this question and you'll take my point, Larry Miller. But what do you make of the fact that a black man in this country who has paid his debt to society, gone to a great institution like Temple, gotten a couple degrees, um, has to hide his past for 40 years to excel to the level at which you've been blessed to excel. Like, what do you make? I mean, how do you process that? What do you say to people who, again, who, who, who've gone through their own drama and had their own troubles like, like, like you did, but you know, for 40 years you had to hide that um, to have these opportunities, what, what do you? How do you process that? Well, you know, one of the reasons that um, that I let uh, my beautiful daughter convince me to do this book and to share my story was the fact that um, I wanted to, you know, publicly talk about the fact that this is something that impacts people who have a criminal uh, background, and especially black folks, especially mm -hmm. folks in our community, and and. Um, you know, to me, part of the reason for telling the story was to say, listen, if you give people an opportunity, you give people a chance, you know, chances are they're, they're going to prove you right. And I, 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 my hope is that I can be an example for the fact that, um, you know, 
given the right opportunity, a person can change their life. A person can become a contributor to society as opposed to somebody that, that takes from society. And I think, uh, you know, more needs to be done to qualify and prepare people for uh, legitimate opportunities once they get out. You know, the statistically, 92% of people who are incarcerated will get out at some point. Mm -hmm. The goal should be that they come out better people than they were when they went in. And that's not the way the criminal justice system is working in most places right now. Nope. And, and I just said that, uh, you know, like I said, for me, um, you know, the, one of the reasons for doing this was to, you know, have make this be a conversation that people are talking about. The fact that, you know, it, it does make sense. It, it is something that is worthwhile to give people an opportunity um, even though they, even though they may have some some negative things in their back, yeah. I think uh, you know to me that that was one of the reasons for doing this. Yep, that ninety two percent that you just referenced, Larry, uh, I feel for them because most of them, as you well know, uh, spend the rest of their lives trying to hide their past because they just so many things that get foreclosed if uh, people know too much about uh, your felony past, and so I feel sorry for that ninety two percent, some of whom in certain states are still fighting for the right to vote even though they've served their time. Um, it's, it's tragic on so many levels. Let me bring, it, let me bring in Layla right quick, you're, 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 the, the beautiful daughter that you referenced earlier. Uh, I, can say that, I can say that, Layla, because your daddy said it. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm not trying to harass you. Your daddy said it. I'm just quoting your daddy. Uh, but, no, sir, thank you. Okay. So uh, her name is Layla Lacey. She's the daughter of Larry Miller. And the book is called, as I said earlier, Jump, My Secret Journey from the Streets to the Boardroom. I am curious, Layla, as to when you learned the story that the rest of us learned when we read your daddy's book. And I, and I ask that because, as we all know, let's just be honest, let's, let's keep it real. In black families, we are really bad about keeping secrets. In black families, <laughs> there's so many secrets. And oftentimes, frankly, sadly, regrettably, the secret always seems to come out at the worst time. It, 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 it doesn't come out in a controlled environment. It doesn't come out in a spirit of love. It doesn't come out in, you know, it, it, it always seems to come out in, at the worst time and in the worst ways. So I'm just curious, and I've had that experience in my own family. I'm just curious as to when you learned uh, from your father about his past, again, that the rest of us are now reading in this book called Jump. Well, um, I had always known that my father had spent time in the penitentiary. Um, I went to visit him when I was very small. I was familiar with, you know, the place, and, and I kind of understood, you know, very young where he was. Um, what I didn't understand was why he mm. was there and how he'd gotten there. So all of those details, we kind of, they came out through the process of us writing the book together. Mm -hmm. um, I, I was able to learn the backstory of, of why he was there uh, over the course of the 13 years, mm -hmm. almost 14 years, um, that it took us to complete the book. Yeah. And, and what, as you were in real time talking to your father and researching for the text, um, as you're learning this stuff in real time about your father, who obviously you love, you love him, he loves you, it, it, yeah. it's not going to change the way you feel about your daddy. Um, but how are yeah. you processing learning so much of this backstory in real time? Um, it definitely took some work. I, I had to just kind of sit with some of the, the more shocking and, and more disturbing parts. Um, it wasn't always comfortable, the, the conversations that we would have to have, but I felt like it was so necessary um, for, you know, the story to be told in its completion, in his words, 
Um, like you said, you know, how a lot of times these secrets are introduced out into the world in the, at, with the worst timing and not um, out of love. Mm. I wanted th- this to be the opposite. I wanted him to be able to speak to where he's been, how, how he got to where he is, and basically tell his story as opposed to having it told for him. Yep. So I knew that that would require a lot of um, just being present and, you know, just kind of working myself through the emotions to get to the other side. And to the extent that it did change your view of Larry Miller, positively or negatively, um, I can't imagine that you come across this, this much information and it doesn't make you have some kind of thought. Uh, and I can argue it either way. I don't need to argue because you're here. You can tell me. So when you learned all this stuff, um, again, working in real time with your father on the book, um, it, 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 it changed your view of your father how? It didn't change my view of him at all. I mean, I, I'm, you know, I, I understand that people make mistakes. Human beings make mistakes. Children make mistakes, as a matter of fact. I'm, I'm, I'm raising teenagers right now, mm-hmm. and... Um, you know, I, I know that they are not fully, completely who they are going to be by the time they mature. So just listening to him talk to me about his teenage years and the, the experiences that he had, you know, being that I'm a parent, it helped me to understand that this was a child who made a mistake, a horrific mistake, but a mistake it is what it was. And children make mistakes. Humans make mistakes. So I just really had to, you know, honor that. And, you know, my daughter put it best. She said, he's still pop-up. When mm-hmm. we all talked about it as a family, she said, he's still pop-up. Yeah. I mean, I can't put it any clearer than that. No, I, I, I received that. Um, You know, when, when I, I, I know Larry Miller, uh, and, and Larry and I aren't, you know, best friends, but I know Larry Miller uh, initially from, you know, his time as, uh, uh, you know, president of Portland Trailblazers. I mean, this I follow this stuff, and while he and I have never – you know, uh, hung out on vacation for a week in in the in the Caribbean somewhere. Uh, I I I know his work; it speaks for itself. I know his time at Nike with the Jordan brand, so I know him from a distance, right? And when I saw the story, it just made me love Larry Miller more. It made me understand all that Larry Miller had to go through. I mean, first of all, it ain't easy as a black man getting into these upper echelons to begin with. Trust me on this. Yeah. I ain't never been to jail. I ain't never been to prison. But I know how difficult it has been to build a career in the in the arena that I'm in, how difficult it is to buy and own a black-owned talk radio station. I know how difficult this journey is, and I ain't got no record. I can't imagine okay. uh, that one could climb to the levels uh, that Larry Miller has, uh, has, has been able to achieve uh, and have this story, this secret you're covering for 40 years, hoping that it doesn't come out. So for me, speaking for Tabas, it made me just love and respect Larry Miller even more based upon what I learned about his backstory. But that's just me. We'll continue when we come forward after news, traffic, and sports. We ain't got to the good part. I mean, that's 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 some good stuff already. But we ain't got to the Jordan brand yet. We ain't got for, uh, to the story of uh, taking a company that was a $200 million sneaker company and building it to a $4 billion uh, global juggernaut. That's the sweet spot, as we like to say around here. We'll get to that with Larry Miller and his co-author, his daughter, Layla Lacey. The book is called Jump, My Secret Journey from the Streets to the Boardroom. This conversation continues after news, traffic, and sports, and you're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. A safe place to go loud. 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 A great place for progressive politics. KBLA Talk 1580. We knew you'd stick around. This is LA's home for progressive talk radio. Be heard. Welcome back to KBLA Talk 1580. 
Now this is a story all about how my life got flipped, turned upside down And I'd like to take a minute, just sit right there I'll tell you how I became the prince of a town called Bel Air So Larry Miller, this is what happens when you got a board op and a producer who think they're cute, right? They, <laughs> they, I can't take these Negroes nowhere, man. They, they think... <laughs> They just, and you should see them right now. They're sitting there just skinning and grinning like they cute. They just, they, they, they could not resist. They just couldn't resist. <laughs> you ain't mad at them, Larry? No, I get it. I get it. <laughs> I'm Tavis Smiley. That's Larry Miller. His daughter, Layla Lacey, is on the line. We are talking about the new book called Jump, My Secret Journey from the Streets to the Boardroom. Uh, if you didn't hear the beginning of the conversation, Larry Miller grew up in West Philly, born and raised, spent most of his days, you get it right, uh, got in some trouble uh, like the Fresh Prince. Fresh Prince got kicked out to Bel Air. Larry Miller went to jail. Uh, the story is a little bit different. Uh, and Larry uh, was in jail uh, for some years for a number of things. But oh, uh, how he turned his life around. As we say, ah, but then came Jesus. Uh, he turned his life around. Uh, and Larry went on to become uh, not just the head of the Nike brand, taking that, uh, the, the Jordan brand rather, at Nike, the Jordan brand, taking it from a $200 million sneaker company to a $4 billion uh, global uh, apparel juggernaut. On top of that, he was president of the Portland Trailblazers, uh, one of the first African-Americans to be president of a major NBA franchise. I mean, the brothers done all that and then some. It is quite the story. Once again, the book is called Jump, My Secret Journey from the Streets to the Boardroom, written uh, co-written with his daughter, again, Layla Lacey. Delighted to have both of them on uh, in this hour. Um, Larry, let, let me let me just come to you right quick with this, and I want to move on to the to the Nike part, the, the sweet part of this story. Um, but as I read your book, and it was it's it's arresting uh, to hear um, uh, these confessions that you and Layla lay out in the in the text. Um, but you talk about having migraines and having nightmares for that forty year period afraid that someday your past might catch up with you. I don't believe that in life our history has to be our destiny, uh, and I'm, a, I'm an example of that, and as are you. I don't believe that our history has to be our destiny, but that doesn't mean you don't have migraines and nightmares and, and fears that one day your past is going to catch up to you. Absolutely true. Um, you know, for, for up until, <clears throat> actually up until the time when, uh, you know, we we kind of got to a point where we're definitely going to write this and 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 publish this book uh and as i was sharing more and more with with my daughter um the nightmare stopped uh the the headache stopped because i think i was finally getting this out and kind of talking about it and not keeping it bottled inside and uh and of course and, and absolutely i was uh, constantly afraid that uh, somehow, uh, I would get exposed. Something would come out. Somebody would would uh, you know share, break my story, or talk about what what had happened. And to the point that that uh, that you you made earlier, um, once I realized that this was an opportunity for me to control the message and for me to kind of tell the story on my own terms. Uh, I think the more I started to feel that, the more I started to believe that, and the more I shared with her. Uh, the 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 freer I felt, and yeah. 
now uh, now that the book has actually come out and the story's out there, uh, it really has been extremely freeing for me without without question yep what uh, let, me, let me go on this is as we say inside baseball right quick and then we'll come back out and get to the the nike part of the story but what did you learn running of the jordan brand all these years what did you learn being president of the nba nba's portland trailblazers about being able to affirmatively aggressively get out front and tell your story because i know when you run a brand like the Jordan brand, and you run an NBA franchise, you're confronted with this stuff all the time. How do you get out in front of this? How do you frame the story? How do you tell the story? What did you learn? What are your takeaways from those high those high positions about getting out front, telling your own story, Larry? Well, the first thing I would say I learned, Travis, is that if you're going to do it, you can't have it. You know what I mean? You can't start out and say, well, I'm going to talk about this, but I'm not going to share that. Exactly. Gonna, you, you, have, you have to, if you're going to do it, you have to commit to doing it 100%. And uh, so when we, that was one of my hesitations along the way of doing this. Is like, hey, if we do it, I know I got to go the whole, <laughs> I can't I can't go halfway. And um, and so that was one of the things, because again, with learnings from whether it was the Trailblazers or with Jordan Brand, you know, with things happen that we'd have to deal with, you know, you got to confront and you, and you, uh, you know, you can't, you can't try to, dance around it or whatever if you're going to talk about something you got to you got to be willing to talk about it and yep. be straight about it and be 100 percent. nope i've offered that advice to many people in, in my career about writing books because i've written what 24 25 books and many of them new york times bestsellers people ask me all the times about writing all the time about writing books and we have an imprint on which i've published many other people's books and i always get asked this question and i tell them the same thing you just said larry if you're going to do this you got to be committed to it you got to tell the right. whole truth, you got to be transparent about it. And if you're not going to do that, it's not a book people are going to want to buy, and therefore not a book I want to publish or read. <laughs> so, um, right. you know, you got to, you got to, you got to, if you're going to come, you got to come full force, get busy with it. So I'm glad you uh, and Layla decided to be completely transparent in the book, and it makes it a much better read. Again, if you just tuned in, the book is called Jump My Secret Journey from the Streets to the Boardroom. Written uh, by Larry Miller with his daughter, Layla Lacey. Now, watching my clock here. My time is getting away from me. Let's start this part of the story, Larry, um, about Nike. That's the part that you know, people, uh, many of us know you for, running uh, the Jordan brand and building it into this behemoth uh, of, a, of, of a company. So just tell me right quick, I'm watching my time, how you even got to Nike. So I, I, when I, um, I actually moved out to Portland to work for a company called Janssen. They make swimwear, sportswear. Uh, moved out to work for Jansen as uh, the controller and running the accounting department. Um, got there and moved up into a couple of different positions while I was there and eventually ended up uh, as president of the company. And one of the things that we uh, we worked or we were able to accomplish was we uh, developed a licensing deal with Nike. And we worked, we worked out a deal where we would manufacture and distribute uh, Nike swimwear. Um, we would make it uh, and, and pay them a licensing fee to use the, the Nike, Nike name. Well, through the course of that, I got to know some of the folks at Nike, and specifically there was a, a guy named Stephen Gomez who ran apparel. He was the global head of apparel for Nike. And uh, he and I would get together like once a month or so and just talk about what was going on with the business. And I remember leaving uh, one of those uh, dinners and uh, thinking to myself, I feel like I just got interviewed. And sure enough, about about two weeks later, he called and said, hey, would you have any interest in coming to work for Nike? And, uh, of course, I did. And I, I, my first job at Nike was 
the head of apparel uh, in the U.S., which was about a billion-dollar business at the time. And I also, I didn't know this at the time, but when I started at Nike in 1997, I was the first black vice president in the history of the company. And uh, I didn't know that until I got there, but um, but that was that was that added another level for for me for sure. Um, and then uh, I was in uh, in that job for about a year and a half, and then um, MJ was about to retire from the Bulls for the last time, and there was a lot of talk around Nike about hey, what's going to happen now that Michael's not playing anymore? Because the formula was Tinker creates a cool shoe. Uh, we do some advertising with Spike or Bugs Bunny or somebody, and then MJ wears those shoes 82 games and into the playoffs. That was the formula of how we were selling shoes. And now him not playing anymore was taking a big piece out of it. And a lot of folks thought that that was, uh, that was, hey, it was a nice run, but it's over. But myself and a number of other people around there, specifically a person named Howard White, who, uh, who became my partner in, in crime through all this, uh, were, were really, uh, had a really of the belief that we could build something beyond MJ's playing day, that we could take that logo, that Jumpman logo, and actually create a brand uh, with yeah. with that logo. And so, so then I was asked by Phil and MJ to put a team together and strategies on how we were going to do that. And, uh, you know, we've been pretty successful. Uh, mm-hmm. this, this year, the business is going to be well over $5 billion. Wow. The rest, as they say, is history. Um, but that's uh, that's easy, uh, a lot easier said than done. When we come forward, I, I want to come right back to this point because that, for me, has always been fascinating. As a businessman myself, that is the part for me that's always been the most fascinating. And I've, you know, MJ and I've hung out a little bit, not as much as you guys have, and I've kind of, you know, uh, pressed him on these issues in some of our private conversations um, just to get his take on it. But it seems to me uh, that what you all did most phenomenally, as you just put your finger on, was to build this company for the most part, after his playing days. And that, that, yeah. that that's not the easiest thing to do. It's one thing to do it while Michael's on the court. When Michael's on the court, Michael's selling everything. I mean, there wasn't nothing Michael couldn't sell. In my favorite commercial, sorry, Larry, still be like Mike, the Gatorade commercial. I still love be, be like, like Mike. Mike. No. Yeah, yeah. I hey, still love him. <laughs> yeah, I, I love the jump stuff, but that be like Mike thing was amazing. Anyway, when we come forward, I want to ask Larry how, in, in short order, it's a long story, they could do a, a book about this, but how do you build a brand when the guy who you're building around ain't even playing no more? Uh, that, to me, is the phenomenal part of this story, uh, one of the many special parts of the story of Larry Miller. We'll get to that question and a bit more for he and his daughter, Layla Lacey, when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. Conversations that matter. matter. You're listening to Tavis Smiley on KBLA Talk 1580. So, Larry, tell me how you all did that. What's, I mean, I know we, again, we could spend hours just talking about that one issue, but how does one build um, a, 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 a global brand around a particular personality uh, and build the, the, the majority of it after that particular personality is no longer playing the sport? Well, I, I think, uh, f- first of all, it depends on the personality you're starting with. We had, I don't think there's any better personality to start that with. I think, you know, what Michael Jordan represented both on and off the court, uh, There, there's, to me, um, there's no one else that, you know, very few, I'll put it that way, that represent what he represented both in the sport and outside of the sport. And for us, uh, you know, we, we realized that, you know, we can't build this brand based on what Michael's going to continue to accomplish. So we've got to look at what he represented on the basketball court and off the basketball court. And he represented excellence, determination, hard work, 
style, all these things. I mean, you know, back then, and you still hear it from time to time, people refer to the Michael Jordan of whatever, the Michael mm-hmm. Jordan of this, Jordan of that, meaning the best. And so we decided that we were going to take those characteristics that Michael Jordan represented both on and off the court, and we were going to incorporate those characteristics into our brand. So everything we did from a brand perspective, our goal was to reflect those characteristics, those qualities that Michael Jordan brought both on and off the court. And, and, and uh, we were able to, you know, build strategies specifically around that to the point where um, it wasn't based on Michael continuing to play. It was based on what he brought to the court. And our goal was to inspire people to bring the Michael Jordan out of everyone. That was the goal. It's like whatever your field is, whatever it is you do, do to be the best at it. You know, try to you know incorporate these things that will make you excellent at what you do and make you excel at what you do. And that was the approach we took in building the brand. And um, you know, and it, it was yeah, it was about selling shoes and selling clothes, but it was really more about inspiring people. And I think that's what the Jordan brand continues to do today. Um, you see people, when they put on their Jordans or they're wearing their Jordan gear, they feel a certain way. And I think that that's what, that was our goal, to incorporate these characteristics, these great qualities that, that represent who Michael Jordan is and incorporate those qualities into our brand. It must be the clothes. It must be the shoes. When we come <laughs> forward in our remaining moments with Larry Miller and Layla Lacey, a uh, c- couple more questions about what it was like doing this project together. We'll get Layla back involved in this conversation before we lose both of them at the top of the hour. So, Layla Lacey, I'm sure you spend uh, you know good time with your father anyway, uh, have, of course, over the years, but uh, this allowed you all to spend uh, a lot of time together, I, I suspect, yeah. uh, working uh, and collaborating on this book, Jump, My Secret Journey from the Streets to the Boardroom. What are some of your takeaways from having had this opportunity to write a book? Most of us will never have the experience of being able to write a book with our father or our mother. What was the experience like for you? Um, it was really, it was priceless, Tavis. Um, it was just an opportunity for me to try to to, to get to know my dad um, on a level that I hadn't had the opportunity to when I was younger. And so I learned so much about him. Um, I mean, I've, I've always been in awe of him as I watched his career trajectory, you know, over the course of my lifetime. And I'm just incredibly proud of him. I've always been immensely proud of him. But to watch, especially this past year, the courage that it took for him to kind of bear all of this to the world and then go and, and, and talk about it to strangers. My dad is a very private guy, mm-hmm. um, so I know it, it took a lot of uh, inner strength and courage for him to, to put himself out there in the way that he has. Um, and I'm just, you know, again, in awe of him, and, and just I have so much respect. Yeah. Um, Larry Miller, I'm not asking you to divulge any confidences, not that you would anyway, uh, but is there anything you can tell me about what MJ said to you when he heard the whole story about Larry Miller? Yeah, you know, so so there were two people that I uh, reached out to initially to kind of share with them what I was doing, and the people that didn't know, and it was uh, MJ and Phil Knight. And to both of their credit, uh, once I shared with them, and neither of them knew my story, uh, and I had worked with them and become friends with them over the years, and they didn't know. And um, But they both were, uh, once I talked to MJ, and uh, it was COVID, so I had to do it over the phone. Mm-hmm. But his first comment to me was, 
because I said, like, hey, my daughter kind of convinced me. He said, I agree with your daughter. You need to tell this story. Uh, it's something that can inspire and, and, and motivate people. And w- whatever I can do to help, let me know. Mm. And that was, that was, to me, that was uh, all the, the confirmation I needed mm. that I was doing the right by sharing and, this. And you what, know, what, what did Phil Knight, the founder of Nike, what did Phil Knight say? Phil, Phil was pretty much exactly the same thing. I kind of went through and shared my story with Phil. And he said, you know, because uh, I had called and said, Phil, I got something personal I want to talk to you about. He said, uh, when you said something personal, I had no idea what to think. He said, but I definitely didn't think it was. And he said, <laughs> you know, he said, if I can be of any help. And Nike has been extremely supportive. Uh, MJ has been extremely supportive. The Jordan brand has been extremely supportive. And so, you know, it really just confirmed for me that I did the right thing by sharing this story and that hopefully it can inspire and motivate people. And one, one last thing I, I, I want to uh, touch on, if I got a, a minute here, Tavis. I got, I got a minute. Go ahead. Yes, sir. One, one of the thing, best things that came out of this to me was the fact that I was able to connect with the family of Mr. Edward White, the young man that I shot and killed, and have a meeting and meet with them and actually uh, have them express their feelings. And But at the end of the day, they forgave me. And to me, if nothing else comes out of this whole process, the fact that I could get that forgiveness from uh, from Mr. White's family was the most important thing to me uh, to be able to, to, to come out of this. For those who are listening right now, they are shaking their heads just like I am. You don't know this, uh, Larry, because you weren't around last hour. I'm on three hours a day. The hour prior to this was about forgiveness. There's a new book out, came out today. I recommend it to you and Layla. It's called Sorry, 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 The Case for Good Apologies. Sorry, sorry, Mm -hmm. sorry, The Case for Good Apologies. We spent an entire hour talking about apologies, how to give them, how to receive them, how to forgive, to live. That was the hour prior to this. And now here you come closing this hour with this story. That's how you book in the show, ladies and gentlemen. I thank you for listening to all three hours. The book by Layla Lacey and Larry Miller is called Jump, My Secret Journey from the Streets to the Boardroom. Uh, great to have you on. And uh, as they say uh, at Nike, just do it. Well, Larry Miller just did it, and I ain't mad at him. Larry, good to have you on. Layla, thank you as well. Have a great rest of the year.